1 this morning, Joshua in chapter number 1. And in just a moment, we're going to read two verses. So Joshua chapter 1, and look with me at verse number 8 and verse number 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8 and verse number 9. You all have done awesome this entire morning. You're singing, you're participating in all the activities and the games. And uh, I was a little nervous. I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little nervous when they put the youth pastors on the air mattresses. You know, the, when, the, when the teenager was on the air mattress, it was like just soaring, flo- floating through the sky. And then they put old boy on the air mattress on this side over here. And that air mattress, it took a nosedive straight down. But he hung on for the ride. It was incredible. Man, he hung on there, and, they, and the green team ended up winning. This side, they, you flipped your youth pastor like five times. I think that was on purpose. I'll be honest with you. I don't think you could flip a youth pastor that many times if you weren't doing it intentionally. But I respect it, all right? Joshua chapter number one is where we are. We're going to read verse number eight and verse number nine. Joshua chapter one, verse eight, verse nine. And uh, I, I don't know if you'll remember everything that I say tonight, today, and in fact, you probably won't. But there is something that I do want you to remember. And what I want you to remember is this, that the most important decisions in your life will require the most courage. The most important decisions in your life will require the most courage. If you take notes, I want you to write that down. And I want you to write that down here in Joshua chapter 1. Because in Joshua chapter 1, we're we're seeing that put on display in the life of Joshua through the instruction that God gives him. The most important decisions of your life will require the most courage. In fact, say that with me. Ready? The most important decisions in life require the most courage. Let's try it again. The most important decisions will require. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. And the Bible reads like this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, And then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So God tells Joshua that if he will keep the word of God in his heart, if he will remember what God has said to him, that this word that he remembers will give him the courage that he needs in order to be successful no matter what the circumstances of his life might be. If Joshua will remember the word that God has given him, The remembering of the word will give to Joshua the courage he needs in order to be successful in whatever situation Joshua finds himself in. Now this isn't actually a new thing. It might seem new to you and me, but but it isn't. Your friends 
have given you words of motivation in, er in order to encourage you to do something. It's literally the word. Put courage in you to do something that you would not have otherwise done. We need nine people to come up here and do a human pyramid. And your friend goes, do it. Go. You can do it. And you say, but I'm only 60 pounds. I don't think I make a good base for the pyramid. But your friend is going, you can do it. What are they doing? They're putting, wor they're putting words of encouragement in you, which are, which are resonating with you to give you the, the courage you need in the moment to do something that you probably wouldn't have ordinarily done. I remember in eighth grade, my youth pastor took us on a youth activity. We went to a place called Aladdin's Castle. Now, Aladdin's castle was where they had video games. This is in the world before you had video games on your phone, before you had video games in your house, okay? It, it, that's an ancient world, I understand. I'm from medieval times, I get it. But that's what you had to do back then. You had to go to an, to an arcade, you had to give somebody a few dollars, and you'd get some worthless tokens that you could then play video games with. So we went on this youth activity, we're going to go play video games, you know, Tetris, Mortal Kombat, Pac-Man, all these sorts of games. And we're going to go play these games. And I remember getting on the bus and there was this new girl that I'd never seen before. And her name was Amanda. And I remember thinking, ooh la la, look at Amanda. I was in eighth grade, she was in eighth grade. I was on the youth activity, she was on the youth activity. And I remember sitting in the back of the bus and I said to my friend Brad, I said, Brad, did you see the new girl? I'm a, whoa, she is pretty. He says, you should talk to her. I go, ah, no, I, I cannot do that. Me no talk good when it comes to talking to girls. So, so you know, we get to the arcade. I go my way, she goes her way. I'm playing the video, she's doing whatever she's doing. And periodically throughout the night, I'm looking over, I'm making up seeing where she is. Amanda is sitting in the cafeteria part of the arcade. And she's just sitting there being very polite, being very ladylike, while she is arm wrestling every girl in the youth group. She's sitting at the cafeteria, and she's just arm wrestling one girl after the other. And she is slam dunking girls. She's just, bam, next, bam, next. I remember watching that, and I'm going, good night. This girl is amazing. Not only is she pretty, but she's strong. And she's just, bam, next. And so I said to my friend Brad, hey, I, 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 think, I think I could arm wrestle her. And he says, no way, you're going to lose, Dave. You're going you're to lose. He says, no, you, you can do it. Go challenge her to an arm wrestling contest. So, you know, I casually walk over, I get a, a Coke, and I walk back by her table, and I go, oh, you can beat the girls, but you can't beat a boy. And Amanda, being very Proverbs 31, just meek, mild, quiet, she says, I bet I can beat you. <laughs> now, in, in our youth group, you weren't, you, boys and girls weren't allowed to touch hands. Okay, I don't, know, I don't know what your youth group had. I don't know if they have a rule like that. But, but in our youth group, boys and girls weren't allowed to touch hands. And so I had to go to my youth pastor and said, hey, look, uh, Amanda challenged me. She insulted my masculinity. She accused me of not being a man, and I don't think we should stand for that, okay? 
So what I need is I need, to, I need your permission to be able to, to arm wrestle her. And he said, well, Dave, boys and girls can't touch hands. And I said, no, they can't. He said, but here's what we can do. We can put a napkin in between your hands. And as long as there's a napkin in between your hands, then touching hands isn't a problem. But just so you know, I use that trick all the rest of the way through the youth group. So we put a napkin in, and there I was. And I remember, my youth pastor gets all of our youth group burnt. He's like, everybody come around. This is for all the girls in all of the world. And this is for all of the boys in all of the world. And it is on right now. And I remember in that moment thinking, I, I, what if I lose? <laughs> I mean, eighth grade boys are not as strong as eighth grade girls. That's just a biological fact, okay? And, and I'm what happens if I lose? And when I looked across the table, there was no doubt in Amanda's mind that she was not going to lose. And I remember turning to my friend Brad and I said, Brad, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm going to lose. It was too late. We were already in the game at that point. Everybody was already, they were already chanting. And she says, you can do it. And I remember arm wrestling Amanda that day. I took that napkin after we were done. I folded that napkin up, stuck that napkin in my pocket. I kept that napkin till the day I married that girl. You know why? Because it reminded me of a moment in my life that required the most courage. Now, I see some of you, you're whispering, you got this little shocked look on your face. Okay, you, you know, here's the thing. Winning or losing, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter who won or lost that game. Because how I see it is I married the girl, so I actually won. That's, that's how I interpret that scenario. But see, look, Joshua has something much better than a folded up piece of napkin. Joshua has something much better than a napkin that he can reach down into his pocket, he can pull the napkin out, he can open up a box of memories, he can pull the napkin out and he can be reminded. He has something much better than that and here's what he has. He has the word of God. You see, this book of the law the word of God in the heart and mind of Joshua, God says, will provide to Joshua the courage he needs in the most important moments of his life. The world in Joshua's day is full of all kinds of, unstir un of uncertainty and instability. Moses is passed off the scene. The children of Israel entering new territory, places they've never been. They have battles in front of them that they've never had. They're facing an enemy that they did not know. And it would require much courage. And can I just tell you, you and I live in an uncertain world just the same. Facing an enemy that we've never had. Encountering territory we've never had to encounter. And it will require for you as a Christian young adult, to have courage in order to do what is right, no matter what. It will require courage. 
The most important moments of your life require courage. And what God is telling Joshua is, there is a key to success in your life. And the key to success in your life is the Word of God. Christians find courage not in just having guts, not in just being bold, not in just being adventurous. No, no, no. Christians find courage not in those, not in those traits. Christians find courage in the Word of God. And what God is telling Joshua is, it's not simply enough to leave the Word of God in the hands of the priest. It's not simply enough to read the Word of God occasionally throughout the year. No, no, no. It is much more important for Joshua to hide the Word of God in his heart and in his mind, to commit it to himself. And in committing the Word of God to himself, Joshua will find courage. So here you are at a conference for teenagers centered around deciding to follow Jesus. And you know what you'll need? You'll need courage. You'll need courage. It's not enough that your youth pastors believe in the Word of God. It's not enough that your pastors believe that the Word of God can... It's not enough that your parents believe that the Word of God can give you the courage. No, no, it is you who must make the commitment to choose that you're going to take this Word that God has given to us and you're going to bury it in your heart. You're going to commit it to your mind because there will be a time in your life when your pastor, your youth pastor, your parents... Your friend group will not be there. And in that important moment, it will require from you a courage which is only found in the Word of God. It will require from you a courage that is only found in the Word of God. Years ago, I got to, I got to go to London, England. And in England, I got to visit the museum where they have Pilgrim's Progress book. It's John Bunyan's home. I've taken his house, they've reconverted it, so each room in this museum is a tribute to one portion or part of John Bunyan's life. Pilgrim's Progress is a book that's been translated in more languages than any other book other than the Bible. And when you walk into the museum, there's every room, every room you go to, every different room you go to, it reveals the, a different language or a different set of languages. You walk into one room, it's a living room, and you walk around, you can see all these little things from John Bunyan's childhood. But in there on the walls, you see like 12 or 15 different copies of this book in different languages. You go into the kitchen, it's the same thing as another 12 or 15 different languages. Then you go into the bedroom, it's another 12 or 15 languages. You walk through the whole house, and you get this sense of how many different languages this book has been translated into. And you get a sense for just the impact, the, the magnitude of, 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 this, of the influence of, of the book Pilgrim's Progress. I remember getting done with the, with the tour. I remember being overwhelmed at how influential this book was. And I'm walking out, and the lady at the desk, I stopped by the desk. I'm fi finishing up the, uh, the purchasing uh, a book on, on Bunyan's life. And I remember saying to the lady, I remember saying, what an incredible place. What an incredible book that it's been. Su it's had such worldwide recognition. And she goes, yeah, I guess so. I said, yeah, you guess so. She goes, yeah, I guess so. I mean... I've never read the book, so I don't really know. 
What does it say about a woman who works at a museum whose entire existence is dedicated to one book and she's never read it? Now, before you give me your opinion on that woman, let me ask you a, a more difficult question. What does this say about a preacher, a teacher, a choir member, a young adult, a youth group, whose entire existence is owed to one book, a book that is the revelation of God from God for you and me today. But we've never read it. But we ignore it. We jump up, we jump in the van, we head off to conference, we jump up, we jump in the car, we head off to school, we jump up, we head to work, and we never spend any time in this book who our entire existence is owed to the truths of this word. But whatever it may say about a woman in the middle of London who sits at a desk in a museum, pales in comparison to what it may say about you and me when we ignore the Word of God in our everyday life. You want to know the key to success in your life? It's this book right here. You want to know the key to success in life? It's this book right here. You want to know the, the key to success? It is the Word of God. That's what, jo that's what God has told Joshua. Take my Word, bear it in your heart, commit it to your mind, and it will not only give you the courage you need in certain circumstances and situations that you don't even know what's coming, it will not only give you the, the courage you need in those moments, but it is the key. It is the key that unlocks success as you move through the purposes that I have for you in this life. The Word of God. So let's, let's look here at chapter 1. Let's see a couple things here. Several characteristics from the life of... Joshua is a case study in courage. So let's, let's see a few things here. Here's the first one. Courageous people are purposeful people. Courageous people are purposeful people. So look at chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do, do give them, even the children of Israel. So you notice here that courage is not, it's not just being brave. Courage is not just having guts. Courage is not just being willing to risk it. No, no, no. Courage is a deliberate action. Notice what he says. Therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. He has a deliberate action. There's a specific purpose that God has for Joshua. This command represents that it's purpose. It's having a purpose. It's finding a purpose that provides the courage you and I need in order to accomplish what God has given us to accomplish. This is God telling Joshua, I have an assignment for you. 
I have a reason for you. You're not here by accident. This isn't happen chance. This isn't circumstance. This isn't luck. This isn't karma. None of these things are in play. This is God's providential plan at work in the life of Joshua, leading Joshua into the purposes that God has for Joshua, which is why God has even made Joshua. It's why Joshua exists. Joshua exists for this purpose. That is what God is telling him. Can I tell you this? Not only does Joshua exist for a purpose, or not only did Joshua exist for a purpose, can I tell you this? You exist for a purpose. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. Our God makes no mistakes. He didn't put you in the wrong body. He didn't build you the wrong way. He didn't put you in the wrong city. He didn't place you in the wrong family. You didn't grow up in the wrong state. That's None of this is true. Not if God is true. With God, there's a purpose. With God, there's a reason. With God, there's a plan. God has a purpose, a reason, a plan for you. And according to the Bible, Jeremiah 1, Psalms 139, Psalms 119, God has knit us together. He's formed us for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, which means God made you the way he made you because he has a purpose for you. And can I tell you, God made you for a purpose that he didn't make me for. God has given me a purpose that he hasn't given you. And God has built me, wired me, created me, placed me for that purpose in order that I may reach it. And God has built you, wired you, created you, placed you in a place so that you can grow toward, you can move in the purposes that God has for you. We live in a crazy world that is constantly telling you, God put you in the wrong body. We live in a crazy world that's constantly telling you, God made you wrong. You must have been a defect. God must have been sleeping on the job when you came through the assembly line. And the message of the Bible is so antithetical to that. The message of the Bible is no. God made you. God knows you. God fit you. God knitted you together. God sewed you up. God took all the pieces and placed you together for a specific reason and a specific purpose. So not only did God not put you in the wrong body, but here's this is really good news. God put you in the body that you have. Which means you can stop self-loathing over the body you've got. It means you don't have to cause self-harm because you don't look like her, because you don't look like him. It means you don't have to walk around with all this self-doubt. You don't have to walk around with these self-sabotaging thoughts about how you don't measure up to him or you don't measure up to her or you don't look like this or you don't fit into that mold. You don't have to because God himself has put you together. God has made you the exact way that God wants you to be made. You see how that sets you free? You see when you realize that God has given you the purposes, God has given you an assignment, and God has brought you together. You see how that sets you free to finally be courageous? I can finally be free because I'm not held hostage to someone else's expectation of what I'm supposed to look like or what I'm supposed to dress like or how tall I'm supposed to be or how thin I'm supposed to be or how popular I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do with this body. No, no, no. I'm not subject to anyone else's thoughts on that. I'm subject to God's thoughts on that. Why? Because God is the one who made me. That's why. Aren't you you glad You don't look like the person sitting next to you. No, no, seriously. Just like look at him for a second. Just look at him. And then just just think about it like, oh, man, 
That would be awful. Aren't you glad you don't look like me? I'm glad I don't look like you. I'm glad God gave me the body I have, and I'm glad God gave you the body you have. But I don't want your body. I like mine. See, it sets you free to finally be who God has made you to be. My favorite basketball player growing up was Magic Johnson. I mean, the, the, the greatest basketball player of all time clearly was Michael Jordan, but my favorite basketball player was, was Magic Johnson. I remember gr- I grew up watching the Showtime Lakers. They were like my favorite team to watch. I used to, get to, I used to go to sleep every night and I'd pray, Lord, please let me be six foot, ten inches tall, just like Magic Johnson. I missed it by just a couple inches. I was almost there. It's almost there. Okay, a couple feet, but I was almost there, okay? You see how it sets you free to be who God made you to be. You don't have to be anybody else but yourself. But, but if you do not know that God has given you a purpose, you cannot find the courage you need to be who God has made you to be. You're always doubting. You're always wondering. You're always questioning. You're always a little hesitant to step out and step forward. Because you're never really sure of who you are because you're living your life in constant comparison with everyone around you. And you're hostage to that. And look here, look look here real close. And some of you have been hostage to that for a very long time. Courageous people are purposeful people. They recognize that God has made them, created them, built them, wired them for a specific purpose. And that purpose is unique to them, given to them from God. And when you recognize the gift that is, you'll stop having resentment in your heart for the way that God made you. You don't have to be your neighbor. You don't have to be your friend at school. You don't have to be your teacher. You don't have to be your coach. You don't have to be the popular girl. You don't have to be the popular guy at school. You don't have to be any of those people. You just have to be yourself. You just have to be yourself. And only people who believe the word of God can say that. Only people who believe the word of God in passages like Jeremiah 1 and Psalm 19 and Psalm 135, only people who believe the word of God can truly say that. Courageous people are purposeful people. That's what we see in verse 1, verse 2. But there's a a second thought here, and that is this, that courageous people are active people. Courageous people are active people. I want you to see in verse number three, look what he says. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. So the phrase means that Joshua can't be passive in this purpose that God has for him. So Joshua can't go, oh, okay, well, God has a purpose for me and God's going to accomplish something for me, and God has a reason for my existence, so guess what? I'm just going to sit back and fold my arms and just wait for God to do whatever he's going to do. No, no, no. God has a purpose. God has something specific for Joshua to accomplish. God has a reason to plan for Joshua's existence, and God has brought Joshua and fit him together for this exact purpose and brought him all the way to this moment, but Joshua must take the steps. He must walk the path. 
He must fight the battle. He must slay every Amorite. He must run out every Hittite. He must swing every sword. In other words, courageous people are willing to be active in going after the purposes that God has for them. Courageous people are willing to be active in the purpose God has for them. So here I am, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Literally requires an action. It requires that we follow. So there's an intentionality, there's effort, there's, there's, there's keeping our eyes on Christ, there's dying to self, mortifying the deeds of the body, not being taken captive to every worldly thought, philosophy, or ideology. But there's also taking captive thoughts. Is also going after Christ, pursuing God, going strong and fully after Christ and his purposes for our life. So courageous people, they not only recognize there's purpose, but courageous people also are willing to be active in going after the purpose that God has for us. So some of you are here this morning, you're like, Dave, I get it. God has a purpose for me. However, I just, I choose myself over God's purpose. The Bible teaches us that there's three great enemies in the Christian life. You know the three great enemies in the Christian life? You, you do. They're, it, they're more familiar to you than you think they are. Here they are. Ready? The world, the flesh, the devil. The world, this is an easy way to understand it. The world, that's, that's what's wrong with everything outside of you. The flesh, that's what's wrong with everything inside of you. And the devil... That's the one who's using everything outside and everything inside to destroy you. And so what some of us are doing is we're saying, okay, fine, God has a purpose for me. God made me the way I am. However, I'm giving over and I'm giving up in my fight with the world, the flesh, the devil. I'm giving over and I'm giving up in my fight with the world, the flesh, the devil. And what we're realizing here is that courageous people must be active people. They must not give over and they must not give up in the fight against the devil. They must be active. They must take care of what God has given to them. And they must give effort and they must give intentionality and they must give energy toward the purposes and the reasons why God has placed us here. Courageous people are active people. You still with me? Yes? Say yes. Okay, I saw, I saw you yawn. Bro, I saw you yawn. You yawn, like, right at me. Okay, you still with me? Yeah? yeah. You can't yawn when you say that, because it makes me feel like you're not really with me. Number three, courageous people are dependent people. Courageous people are dependent people. So, watch. Therefore, arise, purpose. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, active, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. Skip down to verse number five. Therefore shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. In other words, Joshua isn't relying on his own abilities. Joshua isn't relying on his own strength. Joshua isn't relying on his own talent. Joshua is not to rely on his strategy. Joshua isn't to rely on how great of a general he may be. No, no, no. Joshua is to rely on who? He's to rely on God. 
So courageous people are dependent people in that they recognize that our ability to get to the purposes that God has for us, our ability to make it, our ability to be contributing members of society, but also contributing members as it relates to the Christianity that we've been given, our ability to reach the purposes God has for us require a dependence from us on God. God reminds Joshua, I am with you. It's hard to imagine a greater encouragement than the encouragement that God is with you. You see, when we're faced with tough choices, you know one of the reasons why we're faced with tough choices is we're always thinking about what it might be, what it might do, what it might cause in our relationship with someone else. And so I really know I ought to do this. I just don't think I should because if I do, then they're going to get mad at me and she's not going to be my friend and he's not going to be my friend and they're going to say say awful things about me and they're not going to invite me to their party and I'm not going to get to sit at the cool kids table. And so what we do is we end up not responding with courage because we're afraid of what it will cost us with someone else. And so here's what God tells Joshua. The courage you need in your life might cost you your relationship with someone else but you will have a relationship with me. But you'll have a relationship with me. So recognizing the dependence is simply recognizing this. I'd rather have the presence of God in my life. I'd rather have God's strength in my life being displayed for me, God flexing his muscles on my behalf. I'd rather have that in my life than anything else. And if it comes to that, then it comes to that. And hopefully it won't. Hopefully the people that you're friends with, hopefully they make the same kind of decisions you make. They make the same kind of decision to go after Christ. They make the same kind of decision to be active in their spiritual growth and their Christianity. Hopefully that's true. But even if it's not, there's a presence that's with you that's greater than any presence that might leave you as a result of standing for God. And that presence is God himself. It's as if the Lord is telling Joshua here, they may fail you, but I will not fail you. They may abandon you, but I will not abandon you. They may betray you, but I will not betray you. They may leave you, but I will not leave you. They may cut you out, but I will not cut you out. I am with you. That's what he's telling him. And it's putting inside of Joshua what? It's putting in him courage. It is literally encouraging Joshua to do what? To be active in this pursuit of going after the purpose that God has for him. Courageous people are dependent people. Courage is found in recognizing that God never calls us to do something apart from himself. God never calls you to do anything apart from him. What God calls you to do, what the areas God calls you to be active in, he causes you to be calls you to be active in that area with his help dependent on him and without him we can do nothing this is the bible teaches that you know the bible literally says that i, I want everybody everybody real quick everybody do this for me right ready well, look here look here look here everybody do this everybody go <gasps> hold it 
Hopefully you're not sitting next to one of those people that didn't brush your teeth. You know, the Bible says you couldn't take a breath without the help of the Lord. You couldn't do that right there if it wasn't for God. That's the message of the Bible. Not only did he create everything, not only did he create everything for a purpose, not only did he build you, fashion you, bring all the pieces of you together for a specific reason and specific purpose, and ask you to be active in going at those pieces after that purpose, but here's what he's saying. And while you're active in going after these purposes, I will be strong for you. He says this, by me, all things consist. Which literally is, I'm holding everything together. That means without God, we'd all go flying off into a thousand different ways in this, in this chaotic, crazy world we live in. But with God, we're held together by God himself. In other words, courageous people are dependent people. Dependent on who? Dependent on God. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So courageous people, they have purpose. Courageous people are active. Courageous people are dependable. Two more. Watch this one. Courageous people are teachable. Courageous people are teachable. Now, let me show you this. Watch. Skip down to verse number seven. Only be thou strong and very courageous. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pause, time out, hold up. What did you say? How, how is Joshua going to be successful in, do, in, this, in this endeavor? How, how, how is Joshua going to make it to the end? Look what he says. Do. According to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. In fact, if you, if you skim the pattern of the life of Joshua, what you'll find is you'll find that whatever Moses told Joshua to do, Joshua went and did it. Moses says, go spy out the land. Numbers chapter 14, guess what Joshua does? He goes and spies out the land. Moses says, hey, go down there and fight the Amalekites. Guess what they do? Joshua takes the people and go down and fight the Amalekites. Everything that Joshua does in the testimony of Scripture, he does at the direction of Moses. Moses, this, this strong and spiritual leader, not only for the children of Israel, but the strong and spiritual leader for Joshua himself. In other words, courageous people are teachable people. They find strong spiritual leaders and they submit to them. They find strong spiritual leaders and then they submit. You imagine getting to the end of Joshua and you're going to interview Joshua and he's about to die and you're going, Joshua, the children of Israel under your leadership came into the promised land. Something that the great Moses could not accomplish with the children of Israel. Tell us, how is it that you were able to lead the children of Israel into such a great victory? And Joshua would have, would have, would have went. <clears throat> so here's what I did. I... Um, I just did everything Moses told me to do, and that got us right here. I, I just, 
I just did Yeah, okay, fine, fine. I said, we're not talking about Moses. Moses didn't accomplish what you accomplished. How did you do it? Okay, well, okay, that, oh, I didn't understand the question. Okay, so let me answer it a different way. What I did was I just did everything Moses told me to do. It was very complicated. Joshua found a spiritual leader. He put himself under that spiritual leader, and then he did everything that spiritual leader said to do. You see, sometimes what we convince ourselves of is we convince ourselves that if I'm going to be courage, I can't be under somebody else's leadership. Because <laughs> that doesn't make me courageous. That just, that just makes me a sheep. That doesn't, that doesn't make me a lion. That doesn't mean I'm strong. It means I'm weak. No, no, no. Sometimes the most courageous thing you can do in your life is find a spiritual leader and put yourself under their leadership. Now just, I'm not challenging your intelligence here, but I just want to bring it all the way to like the pavement with you for just a second. Let me tell you how that looks in your life right now. And it wouldn't always look like this way in your life, but this is how it looks in your life right now. The spiritual leadership that God has given to you is in the form, first and foremost, of your parents. Look here. Spiritual leadership in your life is in the form, first and foremost, of your parents. Don't tell me, Dave, I'm going to be courageous for God. I'm going to be courageous in this unstable, this insecure world. I'm going to be courageous for God in these crazy times if you are not right now obeying your mom and dad. Look here, look here. Don't tell me you're going to stand for God and do the right thing no matter what. If you are not right now, in this season of your life, obeying your parents. The instruction from the Bible is very clear. Children, obey your parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Dave, you don't get it. My parents did. Fill in the blank. I know, and I forgot that part in Ephesians where Paul says, children, obey your parents only if your parents are perfect. I forgot that part because that part isn't there. He doesn't tell you obey your parents if your parents are perfect. My parents weren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. But here's the good news. You aren't perfect either. So I'm glad that there isn't a, a caveat on the other side. Uh, moms and dads, provide for your children only if your children are perfect. Aren't you glad that isn't there? You walk into the dinner table. I'm like, hey, I was looking to eat today. Oh, you were perfect. So good luck. Eat rocks. Aren't you glad your parents don't treat you the same way? They, they only love you when you're perfect? They only care for you when you're perfect? They only like you when you get the touchdown, when you score the basket? Aren't you, aren't you glad that it doesn't work the opposite way for you? Of course. So God isn't telling you to obey your parents because your parents are perfect. God is telling you to obey your parents because your parents have a level of discernment that you do not have. And they have that level of discernment simply by being older than you are. That's how they got it. He doesn't say obey your parents because your parents are smart or successful or perfect or accomplished. None of these things. He says children obey your parents. Why? Because your parents have a level of understanding that you do not have. This is right in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you. You hear what he's arguing for? It just goes better. And you know that to be true. 
You know it goes better whenever you obey your mom and dad. It goes better at the table when you obey your parents. It goes better over Christmas break when you obey your parents. It just goes, it's better for you. This is a better life. And who wouldn't want a better life? What kind of person is like, well, this is a good way to do it, or this is a bad way to do it. Uh, I'm going to go to bad way. Not a smart person, okay? In fact, the, the word for that person in the Bible is called a fool. I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just saying you're foolish. Which is actually calling you a fool in a roundabout way. Listen, the spiritual leadership that you should find yourself learning from, the spiritual leadership that you should find yourself putting yourself under saying, teach me, is first and foremost your parents. Here's the second one. The spiritual leadership you should put yourself under, that you should be teachable to, is your pastor. Look here. Your pastor. As God has given your pastor certain wisdom and discernment that you do not have, and God has given your pastor certain wisdom and discernment as it relates to spiritual things that you need. Oftentimes, your pastor has the ability to discern things, directions, patterns in your life that even the people closest to you can't discern or can't see. People who are too close. Your friends who are too close. So, so that your pastor has the ability through the discernment and wisdom provided to him from God to be able to step back, take a big look at your life and go, okay, here's kind of where you were. Here's kind of where you are. And here are the three things that have happened as a result of this. It's the gift of wisdom that he imparts to a pastor in seasons like you live in. This is the spiritual leadership God calls us to submit ourselves to. Who? Parents, ultimately, first and foremost. Pastors. Here's, here's another one. Ready? Other godly leaders, like youth pastors, and godly coaches, and Sunday school teachers, and deacons, and godly men or godly women in your church who have a lifetime of faithfulness to the Lord. These are, these are people that God has put in your life for a reason, for a season. And God has put them there for your good. And if you push yourself away from that, if you remove yourself from that, you're cutting yourself off to part of the wisdom and the discernment that God has for you. Joshua gets to where he gets in life because he listened to Moses. That's why he got there. That's how he got there. I just did everything Moses told me to do. And he ends up in a very good place in his life. And what I fear for you and me is we think we know better. Now look here very closely. It's probably true that you have access to more information. But what is definitely not true is you do not have more wisdom than any of those people I just named. Yeah, 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 I get it. You could Google search it. Yeah, I understand. Like you can look it up. You can go to the World Wide Web. I get it. You have access to more information. I don't doubt that. But you do not have access to more wisdom than what these people who God has given to you and what they have for you. I can always tell the spirit of a teenager. I think every adult in the room will agree with this. I can always tell the, the spirit of a young adult by how they interact with, with other, like with adults. You can just, it's like super easy to pick up on. 
Because when, when a person is living foolishly and rebelliously to God, they have a real problem with authority in their life. The foolish people don't like authority. They don't like anybody telling them what to do. It's my body. It's my choice. It's my life. I can do what I want, when I want, where I want. These are, these are people who are fools. These are people who are fools. But wise people say, you know what? I, God made me. God built me. God created me. God fit me together for a, for a specific purpose, for a, spe, a specific reason. And I'm trying to be active in that. And I'm trying to take steps in order to get to where God wants me. And I'm dependent on him in this. And one of the ways that I'm most dependent on God is being dependent on the people that God has put in my life. How, how else will God show you he loves you? Well, one of the ways God shows us he loves us, according to the Bible, is he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And God commended his love. Literally, the word showcased. God put his love on display when Jesus died on the cross for us. That's true. That's the greatest way God showed you he loved you. But what, what, are, the, what are the more tangible ways that God shows us he loves us? What are the more physical ways that God shows us he loves us? The physical ways that God shows us his love is through the people that he has put in our lives. So your mom and dad, your pastor, other godly leaders. Good, look here, good and godly friends. No, 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 no. I didn't just say your friends because I don't know if your friends are good or godly. I don't know who your friends are. So, so I'm, I'm putting a qualifier on it. Good and godly friends. A Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of friend. A Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of friend. These are the tangible, this is the most tangible way, most visible way that you can come to understand the love of God in your life is by learning to be teachable to the people that God has placed in and around your life. Let me give you the one more, last one. Courageous people are teachable, they're dependent, they're active, they're purposeful. Here's the last one, ready? Courageous people are convictional. Look at the verse. The verse is verse 7. We read verse 8 and verse 9. Look at verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Do everything Moses tells you to do and you're going to be great. And turn not from it. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. So conviction drives courage. The most courageous people in this world are the most convictional. They're driven by something in that they're not distracted. They're not turning one side or the other. They're focused fully on the mission and the purpose that God has for them. And every step into the promised land for Joshua was a step that was disputed. It was ground that had to be fought over. And listen to me very closely. Every step in your pursuit of God and God's word and God's purpose for you, it will be disputed. It will will be fought over ground. Why? Because we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about seeking whom he may devour. You have someone who is looking to destroy you both inside and out. That's our enemy, the devil, the flesh, the world. These are the great enemies we have in life. And so in our pursuit of going after God and good, guess what happens? Look here. Guess what happens? Sometimes you step to the left or the right. Sometimes you get it wrong. Look here. Sometimes you get it wrong. You make the wrong choice. You said the wrong thing. You went to the wrong place. 
You looked at the wrong site. You followed the wrong person. Sometimes we get it wrong. Spiritually mature people can recognize, sometimes I get it wrong. Watch. But spiritually mature people, when they recognize this, quickly turn it around. Look at me. Quickly turn it around. That turning it around is what the Bible understands or communicates to us in our understanding of repentance. Anybody ever heard of that word before? How many of you heard the word repentance before? Let me see. Raise your hand. Don't do like a Baptist hand raise. Don't do it like that. Okay, like, let me see, like, do a convictional hand. Okay, that's a lot better. Here we go. Repentance. Somebody, can somebody tell me what the word repentance is? What, anybody know what it means? What does the word repentance mean? What do you got? A straight 180. Okay, straight 180. I like it. Change, right? And that's what we think. We think the word repentance means change. But can I tell you this? Repentance doesn't mean change. Repentance results in change. Repentance is not what it means. It's what, it's what is accomplished. When we repent, guess what happens? We change. So, so let me tell you what repentance is. These are five really easy understandings of repentance. Here's the first one. Ready? Repentance is first contrition. Here's the first step. Contrition. Contrition. It literally means to feel. To feel the weight of the wrong that I just done. To feel the weight of the wrong that I've just committed. You punch somebody in the face and your parents will be like, why'd you punch your sister? And you're like, well, she deserved it. Like, Say you're sorry. And you go, sorry. But you don't feel bad. You're, you feel happy. So did you repent? Because you said the word sorry? No. Repentance first is contrition. It's, it's to feel the weight of what this wrong, this action, what it, I hit that person, I looked at this thing, and what it cost. My words here, my, my choice of entertainments over there, and to feel the weight that it's cost. So repentance is first contrition. Say it with me. Repentance is first what? Contrition. contrition. Here's the second one. Repentance is, so contrition, here's the second one, conviction. Conviction. So not only do I feel the weight of the wrong, I, I recognize how this hurt you. I recognize the damage this caused you. I recognize the severity of it. But now I feel con conviction. So conviction isn't horizontal. Contrition's horizontal. It's what my wrong did to you. But conviction is vertical. Conviction is understanding what this has done in my relationship with God. So I'm feeling the conviction from the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to you. That when you step to the left or you step to the right and you step out of the purpose God has for you, there should be this conviction in your heart. Hey, it's not right. Hey, you shouldn't look at that. Hey, you shouldn't say that. Hey, you shouldn't go there. Hey, you shouldn't respond that way. And so I feel conviction. So what's the second thing? The second word is what? Conviction. What's the second word? Conviction. conviction. What's the first word? Contrition. Conviction. Here's the third word. Ready? Write it down. Third word. Confession. Confession. Confession is, look at me, confession is admitting with your mouth the wrong you know to be true in your heart because of the conviction and the contrition you feel. I'm sorry I did that. 
confessing it. I'm sorry I did that. It was wrong. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I looked at it. It's confessing. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. This is how, this is how salvation came to you. But this is it's the same way in the sense of stepping to the left or the right. So it's contrition. What's the first one? Contrition. What's the second one? Conviction. Here's the third one. Confession. It's making it right. Verbally agreeing. This was wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And here's, this, here's the fourth one. Ready? The fourth one is correction. Correction. So it's not just saying, okay, God, I was wrong. I apologize. And then going right back to it. It's, making, it's taking the necessary steps of correction in your life. I looked at this website, so I don't want to do that again. I'm going to take some corrective steps. I said this thing, and I don't want to say that thing anymore, so I'm going to take some corrective steps. When I, when I did this thing, I did it with those people, and so I'm going to take some corrective steps. I'm not going to hang out with those people because when I do, bad things happen. So correction. I'm going to take corrective steps in my life in order to help me not to, the walk, not to step to the left or the right so I can stay right on the purpose God has for me. And watch what happens. Contrition. What's the first one? Contrition. Conviction, confession, correction. Last one, watch. Change. You see, change is the net, it, it, is the, it is the result. It's the result of what? It's the result of all these other steps having been taken in your life. It, it will change you when you do these things. It will change you. It will affect you. You and I will, for the rest of our lives, struggle with weaknesses, with temptations, with the flesh, with the world around us. This is true. You and I have seasons like that, and perhaps you've, maybe you're in a season like that. And what my encouragement to you this morning is, is to say, no more. I, I feel the weight of this. I recognize the hurt it's bringing to people. I'm convicted by it. My relationship with God is hindered as a result of this. I'm confessing it to the Lord and I'm taking corrective steps in my life so that I can stay on the purpose God has for me. And there's some of you in this room this morning that's exactly where you are and you know it. And I'm asking you to find from the word of God the courage you need to live with conviction in this way. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You've listened awesome.